The Automotive News Canada podcast is brought to you by Diamond Coat. Did you know Diamond Coat has a 96% claims approval rate? This translates into happy customers and repeat service business. But really, you get much, much more when you become a Diamond Coat dealer. Advantages like in-house chemical manufacturing, product fulfillment, bilingual claims support, and a highly experienced team with decades of F&I experience. Visit diamondk-o-t-e.com to get started. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the June 3rd, 2022 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. Our country's role in auto production continues to change and expand. No longer are we predominantly an auto assembling nation. We're deep into the research and development. Mining is now part of the industry. And now Canada is suddenly a hotbed for the development of batteries needed for electric vehicles of the future. My guest today will tell us what makes Canada so attractive. How the battery tech company he works for is looking to cut down the cost on those batteries and he'll tell us about a new partnership with one of the world's biggest chemical companies. All that and more when I speak with Nano One CEO Dan Blundell on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Dan, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited to have you. But before we begin, to get us started, why don't you explain to our audience, sort of in layman's terms, what it is Nano One does? Nano One is a technology company, industrial technology. So we're developing a, a chemical process to make cathode materials that go into lithium-ion batteries. Cathode materials are the most uh, expensive and complex component in a lithium-ion battery, and that's because they consist of input materials like lithium, nickel, manganese, cobalt, all assembled into something, into a, into a powder that will store charged lithium ions when the battery is, uh, is charging and discharging. And so we're developing a process for this. It's a platform uh, technology, which means we can make a, a variety of different types of cathode materials. They all have lithium in them, but depending on the composition of things like nickel and manganese and iron and phosphorus, um, they serve different needs. Some of them will be faster charging, cheaper, safer. They're never all of the above, and the lithium-ion battery industry will be a mix and a blend of all these different materials. So we've developed a, a platform that allows us to make all of the above and uh, address the, uh, the kind of entire market. So I'm no chemist, certainly. I'm no battery specialist, but I know this can't be an easy process or a cheap process, but your company has what it calls the one-pot process that makes it easier. So can you just sort of let me know or explain to me why that's beneficial to automakers. To understand the one pot process of the value, you kind of have to understand how it's done today. Um, so today, materials are mined, of course, the lithium and the nickel and the iron, and uh, refined and then eventually purified into, a, a let's say, a battery-grade metal of some kind. And that's all before it ever is made into a cathode material and ultimately into a battery. And it's at that stage that these uh, materials arrive at a cathode producer and they will typically combine them. And it produces actually a, a quite a large 
a byproduct stream of sodium sulfate, um, which I don't, I don't want to get into the chemistry of it, but sure. it's, a, it's a very large byproduct with very little market left. It's a saturated market. There's nothing you can do with it other than landfill it or try to chemically convert it back into something else. So it's a big expense. And as we scale from hundreds of thousands to millions and tens of millions of tons uh, to support this, this emerging battery industry, that becomes quite a large impediment. Now, particularly in the West, but even in more established markets in China and Japan and Korea, and et cetera. So our one-pot process allows us to sidestep this byproduct and make the materials directly from a metal without producing a large, uh, a large byproduct waste stream. And it allows us also to incorporate the lithium at the same time, which the industry does in an additional step. So we can add the lithium, the nickel, the manganese, the cobalt, or the lithium and the iron and the phosphorus, depending on which chemistry we're working on. Um, we can add them all into our one pot process, uh, process them all at the same time. And it, uh, it reduces the complexity in the manufacturing process. It allows us to use these alternative uh, streams of, of lithium, nickel, manganese, and cobalt that gets rid of the environmental footprint. And, uh, and of course, it drives down costs. How important is that environmental footprint um, to your company and to automakers? Because I feel like there is a lot of sort of views through the social justice lens and the environmental lens that the end product that consumers want to buy, they want them to be environmentally friendly. So does this play into that as well? Is this a good thing in terms of if you're an automaker, if you use Nano One or, or work with Nano One, you're getting something a little more environmentally friendly and it sounds like more efficient? You know, electric vehicles already tick the environmental box by uh, sidestepping all the internal combustion issues. But um, the supply chain has its own uh, problems in it, and they have to do with how these how these materials are processed and various waste streams and byproducts that come out of it. And we can clean and green that up further, and that's extremely important to the uh, to the auto industry. So it's not just you know our story is not just about enabling uh, lithium-ion batteries uh, for the future, but also uh, cleaning up the supply chain and uh, and just streamlining it. So it, it fits the whole environmental narrative uh, even better. So in March, GM and POSCO together, and then not long thereafter, I think it was actually before, BASF on its own, all announced plans to build new cathode active materials plants in Quebec. And then just this week, Nano One acquired the Johnson Matthews Canadian battery business, also in Quebec. What makes that province such an appealing place to build these operations? The most obvious one on the surface is hydroelectric energy. So, you know, clean, green, carbon-free, renewable energy is is critical. So, you know, all these chemistries and batteries that take energy to make, and if you can do it from a, from a renewable source, it's much better. But I, I think what's probably really unique about Quebec is they have been investing in lithium-ion battery supply chain for 30 years, longer almost than anywhere else in the world. And that uh, has created a let's call it a critical minerals supply chain and an atmosphere where the, where the government's willing to invest. I think the population there uh, wants to see this happen. And there's there's expertise there, uh, you know, up and down the supply chain from mining to refining through to battery manufacturing. So there's a there's a long history of, of battery supply chain in Quebec. Uh, Hydro-Quebec is one of the originators of a lot of the intellectual property and patents that came out of uh, out of there and the and the academic system in Quebec also supported this. And it's, it's sprung a whole bunch of startups in the last 20, 30 years that uh, have created a, a really fantastic platform and launch pad for uh, lithium-ion batteries. And particularly in our case, I think in anything kind of upstream in the, in the supply chain. So that's the mining, the refining, the 
purification and, and the, the production of cathode materials. I should add on to that, and this is kind of an interesting point. Of course, I'm on the West Coast in BC. Commercial lithium-ion battery came out of British Columbia, out of a company called Molly Energy back in the late 1980s. Molly still exists as E1 Molly. So there's a long history of lithium-ion battery innovation and entrepreneurialism in Canada, and it's interesting that it's kind of bracketed on either side of the um, country. That leads to my next question. Do we see more of these plants outside of Quebec, or is this really sort of the hotbed, the way auto assembly is sort of just embedded in Ontario, and that's Ontario's sort of specialty, if you will, when it comes to automotive. Is Quebec the specialist when it comes to batteries? I think there'd be a split there. Obviously, one of the key things here is you you want to be making batteries close to the automaker. It's difficult to ship a charged battery around. There's all kinds of permitting issues and and safety issues that have to be uh, built in. So you want that battery built very close to the auto supplier. So it's it's kind of a natural place for it to be kind of down in the Rust Belt area in southern Ontario. Or in, in Quebec, it's all relatively close. So I think that's a key thing. And then and then the same thing goes with the materials. You really want to be making those materials as close as possible to the refiners and the mines, because otherwise you're shipping around a bunch of dilute materials and there's a whole big environmental footprint with that. It's only a couple percent of the raw material that all the, all the waste is just getting shipped around and landfilled somewhere else. So I, ideally, you want all of that stuff co-located. And, and for that reason, uh, we believe the uh, sort of central Canada, Ontario, Quebec uh, are going to be foundational, call it the center of gravity for battery materials. And obviously being located so closely to uh, to the U.S. market down in Detroit is going to be very important as well. So maybe describe Canada's position as it relates to the global electric vehicle battery industry, because what you just described and all of the touch points you just laid out when it comes to not just mining and the cathode materials, but also the production of automotive. I mean, if the supply chain has to be that close and that tight, how is Canada positioned globally right now in the auto industry when it comes to electric vehicles and their batteries? Well, I think Canada's positioned well in the sense that we uh, we have good know-how and expertise. We have uh, a strong understanding of the natural resources, raw material extraction, refining, and, and as I said, we, uh, even the cathode production is something that we, we know well. Once you're at a cathode, then it's actually not that difficult to ship it around the world because it's, at, it's kind of in its purest form. So I, I do believe that Canada can play a, a really important role globally, but it can all be nurtured within the framework of North America. And the Canadian government is, is really getting behind this in a very solid way. So that's super helpful for companies like ours. They're bringing in anchor investors like the ones you just spoke of, BSF and GM, POSCO, Stellantis, and uh, LG are another two in, the, in southern Ontario. These are, are super important, to, especially to companies like ours, because these are the kind of companies that are investing in the supply chain and are going to be looking to companies like Nano One for technology improvements to, uh, to drive their competitiveness. We're completely aligned and very excited by what the, the government's doing here as well to, to drive adoption in Canada. We'll be right back after this short break. If you're a car dealer today, odds are you're facing a lot of new realities when it comes to reaching your customers. With inventory shortages, a shift towards buying cars online, selling a new vehicle isn't easy. Every touchpoint counts, whether it's online or in person. Let Diamond Co. work with you to make those kinds of connections in this ever-changing world. Diamond Code is committed to our dealers by partnering with national digital retailers making it simple for you to include 
our products onto your website, completing your end-to-end -end digital retail offering. We will work with your team to ensure your F&I product suite is complete, driving customers back to your dealership for test drives and finalizing the deal. Enabling a smooth transition online to an in-person visit is the kind of commitment that has made Diamond Coat Canada's most trusted warranty provider for automotive dealers, manufacturers, and customers alike. And remember, Diamond Coat offers the most comprehensive line of products and programs all available through one company, a true one-stop shop. For more information about our products, visit diamondk-o-t-e.com. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered. Welcome back to the podcast where I'm speaking with Nano One CEO, Dan Blundell. So what does your acquisition of uh, Johnson Matthey's battery business in, in Quebec, how does that affect your scale-up plans? Basically, it helps us fast-track it. Um, uh, first of all, and one most importantly, is the people and the experience. There's people that have been working at that plant since the early 2000s. Actually, it was when they were developing the technology. The plant was built in, uh, in 20, between 2010 and 2012. And, and really that learning curve, that understanding of how to make materials and how to make them for the automotive industry is critical. It's not something that you can just turn on. It's a skill that is developed over time. So it bridges the learning curve. And then on top of that, of course, the equipment, the plant, the permitting, all the quality control systems and safety systems that are in place right now there are transferable. And uh, so it really does accelerate uh, the, uh, our ability to go after the market. And it's, it happens to be right-sized for us right now as a launch pad to test and launch our, our one-pot process. So that's really key for us. It almost couldn't be a better fit for where we are right now. Too small for the really large companies, but just right for us as a launch pad and, and, and the ability to expand from there. What's the goal with the project between you and BASF? What does it mean for Nano One? What's the plan there? We have a, a number of different collaborators that we work with in the space. Uh, BSF, uh, obviously, are, are a massive uh, chemical company uh, and are very invested in the auto catalyst space. And they have been making significant moves in the cathode industry. So they have a, a cathode material, what they call HED or high energy density cathode material family. And uh, we will be working with them to make those high energy density cathode materials using our one pot process and that kind of metal to cathode uh, process that I, I spoke about earlier. And this will allow cathodes to be made sulfate free from a range of different battery uh, metal sources with fewer steps, lower costs, less complexity, and of course, a smaller environmental footprint. That's the ambition. That's what we'll be working on. Ultimately, if we're successful with this, it will lead to piloting and uh, and ultimately some kind of uh, a partnership in the manufacturing of their HED using our technology. If I'm not mistaken, the existing Quebec plant builds lithium iron phosphate batteries. That's correct, right? Yes, that is, yes. And those are, for lack of a better term, relatively rare in North American EVs today, I think. What is the long-term prospect of those batteries, which, you know, shortened down our LFPs? So what do you think of LFPs long-term? Does that win over the traditional manganese batteries? I just wonder if you can sort of compare and contrast and, and talk about the future of those two. Yeah, there is no clear winner in lithium-ion battery chemistry. They all have lithium in them. And right. so whether it's lithium-ion phosphate or the nickel-based materials or the manganese-based materials, they all have different strengths and weaknesses. LFP, its strengths are that it is, it's the lowest cost, safest, 
and it's the longest lasting uh, material. So from a consumer point of view, you'll get more out of that battery than you will any other, any other battery simply because it lasts longer. You get more charges out of it. It lasts longer. It has a longer calendar life. And, and that's really, that's been really key to the industrial market, particularly in China. Uh, so this would be in buses and fleet vehicles and uh, renewable energy storage. But as, as the battery market has developed sort of better and better batteries, they're able to pack more um, into a cell and pack more between the wheels. And that's driven up the energy density at the pack level that goes into a vehicle. And so that means the range is extended. So we're now starting to see LFP really compete with some of the other materials that where the strengths, let's say the nickel-based materials, their strengths are in, in, in energy density. So you can pack, you basically, it's a, it's a more energy-dense material. So it's more suited to long-range, let's say, electric vehicles. And I think we'll always see that split, but I think we'll see LFP chewing away more and more of the uh, of the mass market entry level electric vehicle space where where cost is the biggest driver and if we can drive we can make batteries smaller and we have to charge them more often uh, they will be cheaper but they'll last longer and that's really important it's going to be really important to the mass market adoption of electric vehicles so we believe quite strongly that got a, a fundamental place it's proven out in china uh, we don't see it yet in north america but it will come and that's kind of what we're setting up to do so now the big questions Are you currently working with any automakers, tier one auto suppliers or battery makers? And if so, what capacity? If not, how long will it be before we see batteries that use nano one cathode material in production EVs? So, yes, we are working with a number of automakers right now. The only one we publicly disclose is Volkswagen, but we are working with a number of their peers as well, both in North America and Europe. And uh, we're working with them on, on a full range of materials. So lithium iron phosphate, uh, as we said, the LFP, the nickel-based materials, and, and even the, the manganese-based materials. So those are all, uh, all three of those are very important to the automakers and will form part of the whole pantheon of battery chemistries that go into to, uh, the full range of electric vehicles. Uh, we're also working with um, some of their uh, tier one battery suppliers. And we are also working, as, as I said, with BSF, with some of the, they would be kind of tier two because they're supplying the battery makers, but we're working with some of the largest chemical companies to supply that um, space as well. It takes a lot of testing. There's a lot of validation that goes on when you make a battery. Um, it's not simple. You have to, not only do you have to prove the battery materials kind of work and are consistent, but you have to have all the systems in place to satisfy uh, the suppliers. You have to get to the volumes that the makers can make so that these are it's a staged process and this plant in Candiac uh, really helps us drive that along it's not big enough to supply the auto industry and our ambitions are to uh, expand as we build out those relationships with the auto companies and as we build up the market and the demand for uh, our one pot technology and our the way we make these materials so those are going to be play a really important role in sort of backfilling the relationships that we're currently building with the automakers Dan, I appreciate your time. It's incredible as a kid from Windsor to see how wide ranging the auto industry has become. Growing up, it was simply auto assembly in sort of the 401 corridor in Ontario. And now we're, you know, developing batteries in BC and the technology and batteries in Quebec and the mining in Northern Ontario. So it's really something to see how big this has become. And I want to thank you for joining me on the show this week from BC and it's just an example of how far ranging and wide ranging the industry has become. So, so thanks for this. 
look, I really appreciate uh, the interest. And, and I'll just say that I, I'm super excited as a Canadian to be part of a pan-Canadian effort here. Three years ago, we couldn't really imagine it. And now it's kind of all coming together, uh, you know, up and down the supply chain with government support. I really look forward to the coming months and years here as we as we put Canada center stage in the battery space. Fantastic. Couldn't agree more with you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Yes, excellent. Thank you. Have a great day. I want to thank Dan for being my guest this week. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.